As I said before, we're on chapter 26 of Knowing Christ, Christ's Names. And when you think of, of a name, how a name is used today, um, many of us, I don't know, uh, Billy and Amy, how you guys uh, chose the name Sophie for your youngest baby. I think most folks think of uh, maybe perhaps what's popular, what name is popular, what's going around. Um, others might look at the meaning of that name. I know we did that when we picked our children's names. And you pick, okay, pick that even for a Levi. And I'm not Blue Jeans Levi, let's get that correct. And uh, others might think of uh, the f- a family name, what name was popular in the family or, or, or someone that um, was a patriarch or even a matriarch of a family. I think uh, growing up in an Irish Catholic f- uh, family, we have uh, uh, a lot of Mary Marthas in our, in our family. And so, but in today's culture, I don't think the meaning of a name really carries a, the significance as much as the popularity of that name does. Now, I think we ought to, it, it takes a little more work for us Western society Christians to uh, put a lot of weight into what is really in a name. I think in other cultures and in days gone by, much of that was just a, 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 a um, uh, something they just had within their thinking that a name had true significance. It just wasn't cool or had a nice sound to it. And that, do you remember what the angel of the Lord, a angel of the Lord, not the angel, an angel of the Lord, came to Joseph in a dream, and he said uh, to Joseph, he said that uh, you shall, um, talking to Mary, she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Well, how did that correlate? Call his name Jesus. Because why? Because he's going to save his people from his sins. Well, would that have any meaning to Joseph and Mary? Uh, Would it have any significance at all? When you think of the name Jesus or Yeshua, what name do you hear in that? We went through this in our flock groups. uh, Or are we in the midst of that in our flock groups? Are we in Joshua right now? I think we are, right? Yeah, we are in the midst. I mean, last year, sometime, we were in the book of Joshua. We were going into the promised land, and COVID stopped us. <laughs> the um, Yeah, you, you hear that word Joshua, and Joshua was the one who, who Moses took them up to the promised land, but Joshua was, was the one who led them into the promised land. What the law couldn't do, Matthew Henry points this out. He says, uh, Christ is our Joshua, a Joshua who comes in the stead of Moses and does that for us, which the law could not do in that it was weak and that he took us into the promised land. And also there's a Joshua uh, that was a high priest. The only two Joshua's mentioned in the Old Testament. So Mary and Joseph, when they hear that word Joshua, they think of the captain of salvation, the one who leads them into the promised land. It, it, has, it has a significance behind it. It's just not, hey, Jesus, there's a nice ring to it. I mean, you, it's not all used in here in Latin America, South America, the name's used. But um, with us, the name Jesus evokes all kinds of things concerning the Lord, uh, as it might not in other parts of the land. But again, with Mary and Joseph, they would have known this name had significance, and with it came meaning. So when we consider the names of Christ, we ought to have those names 
bring with it the significance, the meaning of those names and titles that Christ has. And by studying these things, it should bring a, a fuller uh, meaning, understanding of who our Savior is. And let's not forget that is the goal of our study. If I was to ask you to list all the different names of Christ, how many names do you think you could come up with? Five? Ten? Now, think of that short list that's given even in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Right there we see how many? Five names, right? We see Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Right there we have five names or titles, and we could use it interchangeably. Now, the list of names and titles of our Lord could be quite extensive. In fact, if you look at the last page of our chapter, uh, tonight's study, you'll see uh, quite a list there as, as in conclusion. Uh, but tonight, uh, we're just going to be looking at the, uh, uh, a few of those names. You know, I, I like how um, our opening verse starts off in the chapter, in Revelation chapter 19. It's almost as if you think you could have a list of all of Christ's names, but here we read in, in chapter 19, verses 12 and 13, again, our opening verse of our, of our study. It says, His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So in this verse, we not only see his name is the Word of God, one of the titles, but also we see it's a name that only he himself, one of his names is a name only he himself knows. One commentator writes, it's exciting to know that even in heaven, there will be new things to learn about Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We're studying about knowing Christ. But even in heaven, there's so many wonderful more things to know about him. Now this evening, we're just going to look not at an exhaustive list of Christ, but we'll take a brief look at seven of those names and Lord uh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, Logos, and Shepherd. And some of these uh, we are just going to skip on. You know, back in the 70s, there used to be uh, Christian singers. Uh, some people referred to them as Christian crooners. <laughs> is that a, 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 a crooner? <laughs> is, is that like a male singer, kind of like a nightclub uh, thing? Pastor Fred, you, excuse me? Yeah, Perry Como. Um, uh, Dean Martin would be a crooner, right? Um, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, there was kind of a Christian version of those guys, and, and one of them was named uh, Doug Oldham. Would you put him in that category, Pastor Fred? Uh, you, you're too young. You're, okay. Doug Oldham. Uh, Terry and Sue remember Doug Oldham, right? Terry and Sue. Gary and Sue. Sorry, we just had friends visiting from Atlanta named Terry and Sue, so Gary, your name was changed today, and forever don't change it again. The... Uh, but anyhow, uh, Doug Oldham had a song, and I think it was written by the Gathers, called Jesus. There's just something about that name. And it was just a delightful song, an uplifting type of song. It made you consider, yeah, just Jesus. There's something about that name. Well, I used to like that song, and, and it's true. There is something in, above, above that name. And it's, above, it's a name that is above every other name. And it's uh, one of the lines was like a fragrance after a summer rain. Yeah. Hmm. Never thought of it that way. But, but you could see the sentiment in, in a crooning type of, of song. But uh, tonight, I just want us to look at uh, several of these things and see what we can glean and learn 
about the person and the work of Christ just in studying his names. Because I think it's a, a great aid in knowing Christ, like I said before. And that's, again, the purpose of the study is indeed to know Christ. Now, Jones points out that the names of God are synonymous for the attributes of God. A study of God's names is a study of his perfections. Again, that's a term I almost prefer over attributes because perfection speaks of those attributes in their perfect, complete state. One attribute of God doesn't have dominance over another. They're all in their perfected, full state. As God revealed himself as the great I am to Moses, he was at the same time revealing his eternality, his being outside of and not limited to time. God made his name known by his works. We read in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, that God tells Moses that the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't know him by his name, it says. It, it reads, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name I was not known to them. Well, what does that verse convey, by my name? What's meant by this is God didn't reveal himself in the power in particular of the plagues and the deliverance, he didn't reveal himself in his powering, powerful acts. In other words, the acts of God would reveal the name of God. In the same way, the Lord Jesus is revealed by his name. The Lord's name speak of his works. As I read before out of Matthew one twenty one. his name shall be called Jesus. Why? Because he saves his people. His works and because of that, Acts 4.12 declares to us, there is no other name under heaven given among men which why we may be saved. Now, we think about living up to a name. Many of us fall short of that. Uh, so I've, I've heard in our own family, you are named after your grandfather. You know, let's uh, act in such a way that your grandfather would be proud of you. We fall short of it. But the Lord Jesus, he fulfills the names that he's been given. Look at the name Lord. In Romans 10.9, it tells us that the name of the Lord should be our confession. That name Lord should be in our confession. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we see that term. Think of that confessing Christ as Lord by the Spirit of God, that it saves us from what? Eternal damnation, eternal separation from God and gives us indeed eternal life. Now think of all the times that is uh, that was even used that name Lord in the, in the Greek Septuagint the the uh, excuse me the Septuagint the Greek translation of the Old Testament that name Lord add on in Hebrew translated Kyrios in Greek is used over 6000 times and it's the proper name for Yahweh or Jehovah in the Old Testament. Jesus used the term Lord for himself when he declared that he was Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, excuse me. Sabbath. In uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 28. Didn't Jesus also say at the time of judgment, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven? Paul writes in Philippians 2 that there's a day confirming what Jesus said here in, in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 7 in Philippians 2. Paul writes that there will be a day in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess, what? You all know it, that Jesus is Lord. They will confess his lordship. 
And this shows the status and the glory of Christ because this knee bowing was only meant for God in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses 23 and 23, we read, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath or confess. So we see this only knee bowing is to be done before God. But yet Paul tells us in Philippians, every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess that he is Lord. Jesus used the title as Lord not to gain respect, but a title of distinction, one of power and authority. Jesus is not a Lord of just man, but I mean in, in, in the sense of a man, of, a, of one having some type of jurisdiction, but the exalted God-man who sits at the right hand of majesty on high. We read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, He who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is, this is the, the Lord we see sitting at the majesty on high. So the name Lord declares to us that Christ has absolute role both in heaven and on earth. And of course, the most common name our Lord is known by is Jesus. Jesus. It's, it's amazing. I, I was watching a program the other day, and I, I don't know about you folks, uh, but if, if a program or a movie becomes ruinous in my own ears, it's when the Lord's name is taken in vain. You know, there's, uh, it's just, and, and this program that uh, lasted about five minutes with me, uh, I think in that time, the second time, just use that name, Jesus, for no purpose, you know. And that name above every name has become uh, a, a name of profanity or a name to be used with uh, no purpose. That That is taking God's name in vain. And um, But that is the most common name, and it's, it's the name that the world loves to trash, and it's the word or uh, the name that we hold so dear. This is the name that, the again, the angel instructed both Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Matthew 1 and Mary and Luke, that they're going to call Jesus. Now, it wasn't an uncommon name at that time, and perhaps many parents named their sons Jesus, hoping that their son would be a great leader, as a Joshua of the Old Testament was. Now, many Jews were looking for that coming of the promised Messiah in the day of salvation. And though they didn't recognize him when he was born, because he came to his own. His own did not receive him. We read that in 1 John, excuse me, John chapter 1. Jesus did indeed live up to his name, both in life and death. And as Jones writes, he saved his people by not saving himself. He gave himself. Because he wasn't merely a man, but the God-man, he was the only effectual, acceptable to God, sacrifice for man's sins. And thank God, because we are saved by that name, we can glorify the name of Jesus and give thanks in that name, because that name represents both the person and the work of Christ. Now, when we think of Jesus Christ, as we have seen, Jesus is the name that he went by. 
Christ is more of a title that he held, but in the end became part of the Savior's name. Now we know, of course, that the the term Christ means anointed one. It comes from a number of Old Testament passages. The word Mashiach, where where we get Messiah from, is, is synonymous with the word Christ or anointed one. I like how the Apostle John helps us out with this understanding to see the connection between these words and the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Verse 41, we read, He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he puts in parentheses, which is translated to Christ, helping out us uh, Gentile folks, as it were. Now, the word Christ is used 350 times in the New Testament. Anointed one is just the one Just that. He's the anointed or set apart one. In the Old Testament, there would be a special anointing of oil for someone set apart for a special work, whether it was a prophet, a priest, or a king. And, of course, Jesus was therefore necessarily anointed by God as those very offices that he held. Jesus gave testimony to this fact that he was the Christ. We read in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has anointed me, Jesus said. To do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Boy, this is indeed not only Christ, but also Yahshua, Jesus. Jesus knew he was the Messiah and also the anointed, the Christ, the anointed one, the Christ. New Testament scripture often refers to as Jesus the Christ. For example, in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, we read about the proclamation of the gospel, and it goes like this, And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now that word as, if you look in your Bibles, is italicized, and we know that when we see a word italicized in scripture, what's it mean? But that the editors, the translators, put that in for a little clarification, but that it wasn't part of the uh, copies that they had. So really it wouldn't be that preaching Jesus as the Christ, but Jesus preaching Jesus the Christ. And we see that same use of Jesus the Christ in Acts chapter 2, 38, chapter 3, verse 6, chapter 9, 34, and 10, 36. It's a beautiful combination of Savior and Christ with the anointing of God, Christ, to fulfill the saving work of God, which was impossible for man, but was possible with God. Now, Jesus' miracles pointed to the fact that he was the anointed one. He was anointed by the Spirit of God to do the works of God. We read in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I just love that. Went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Do you ever sense that darkness, that dark cloud come upon you, and you know, the oppression that might overtake you from a, a burdenous thought? Think of Jesus going about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. Peter, Paul, James, Jude all refer to Christ 
as Jesus the Christ. Listen how John uses the title in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It speaks of Christ's authority over all things with this title, the Anointed One. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, the Anointed One. And he shall reign forever and ever. The Anointed One, the Christ, shall reign forever and ever. Truly, Jesus is the Messiah. Christ is the goal and the focus of all history. He alone was the set-apart one, enabled by the Father to die so the world may live. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, when you think of these names of Christ and the significance they carry, it, it always takes me back to that passage in Hebrews that says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great way of salvation? We have the title or the name, the Son of God. And it's closely related to Christ. Uh, Mark's gospel begins with the title, Son of God. Satan, demons, John the Baptist, the disciples of Christ, even a Roman centurion refer to Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus used this title for himself. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said in John 11, chapter 11, verse 4, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Interesting little connection there. This will be done for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Jesus would have seen this title as being not only one of, of reference to his deity, but also encompassing his role, his mediatorial role as both uh, as all prophet, priest, and king. When you read of another title of our Lord, the Son of David, which isn't really one of the titles we're going to go through, just a little bit, we know that this is a fulfillment of the promised Davidic uh, kingdom. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 84, uh, excuse me, 89, verses 3 and 4, I have made a covenant with my chosen, my anointed, my, my Christ. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So we see this chosen, this anointed one, this set-apart one as being a fulfillment of the promise that David's kingdom being eternal. It speaks of the eternal son of David in reference to the coming king. Christ is the son of given in Isaiah 9.6. As I read, uh, well, I didn't read that before. I quoted out of Isaiah 9, but I didn't. We are told that we a son will be given, and Jesus is that son. Now, Jesus is the son that must reign as God's king, which leads into Christ's eternal kingdom. Jones writes that Jesus represented the collective of Israel, the history of Israel as the Davidic son of God. He was the obedient son, which contrasted the disobedience of the kings and the people of Israel, even of Adam. And we know that, the second Adam. So he did not nearly as as an obedient man be the one who is set apart, but the one who is co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial, or the same substance as the Father and the Holy Spirit. So Christ did as the Son of God, uh, as, as so Christ did as the Son of God, he must be honored. Excuse me, let me rephrase that. Christ as the Son of God must be honored, even as the Father is honored. Now, John the Baptist said that Christ was before him. You remember, and that led John to declare that Christ 
was indeed the Son of God. Hebrews tells us that Christ existed before the creation of the world. And this is true because Colossians 1.16 tells us that Christ created all things. So Christ didn't come into existence at the Incarnation because he was always with the Father as the Divine Son. Jesus of Nazareth was the promised Messiah. He will always be identified as the Son of God, and that will define him into and throughout all eternity. The Son of Man, the Synoptic Gospels uses the term Son of Man almost a hundred times, and John Gospel uses it 13 times. In Acts, the book of Acts, it was used by, it was used by, uh, excuse me, it was used one time by Stephen at his martyrdom. Remember, he said he looked up and saw the Son of Man sitting, no, standing at the right hand of God. So there's uh, three other references that use the term Son of Man, but all the others come from the mouth of Jesus, referring to himself as the Son of Man. It's been said, and it's true, it's, it's scripturally backed up, just from its, its times of being used by our Lord, that it was a, it was a uh, uh, Jesus' favorite title for himself, the, the Son of Man. Now, the title doesn't emphasize his humanity, but also includes Christ's divinity. Just as Son of God does not exclude his humanity, wasn't exclusive to his divinity, but also encompassed his humanity. Uh, his humanity. And it's also, his, there's reference to the Son of Man, as in the Christ's return. When speaking of the suffering of Christ, in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus said that the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. So we see the Son of Man title in reference to his suffering, but also in his resurrection. Remember what Jesus said about to those who want to follow him? The Son of Man, uh, foxes have... Holes, birds of the air have nests, maybe flip that. But the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Now contrast that humiliation of the Son of Man, not even having a pillow, so to speak, a place to rest his head. Contrast that with what Jesus said in Matthew nineteen twenty-eight: I Surely I say to you that in the generation when the Son of Man sits on his throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 tribes, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see that term Son of Man used in Christ's humiliation, and we see that term used in his exaltation. In both Ezekiel and Daniel, we read of the Son of Man, that term being used in the divine, divine and in human traits both. In Daniel 7, he is the Son of Man coming in the clouds with divine authority. And in verse 14 of Daniel 7, we see that all the peoples will be worshiping that very Son of Man. Jesus said he was the one that Daniel referred to. And, of course, that caused the religious leaders to hate him and, and want to kill him. So Jesus is the Son of Man, written throughout history, in the Old Testament and the New. But only those who have eyes to see him as the Son of Man, eyes that were opened by the mercy of God, will see him indeed as the Son of Man. And Logos, we read in John 1, 1, at the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Of course, there's dispute as to uh, how that Word was developed and used in the New Testament. You could read Jones' comments on that. He, he believes that some philosophers, pagan philosophers, borrowed the term from the, uh, the uh, Christian use of it, the apostles' use of it. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Word is the bar, 
And it can refer to the word house, word house. That word, the bar, can mean word house, the most holy place of the tabernacle. And what is that? It's the meeting place between God and man. And we meet God in the person of Christ, who is face to face with God. I love that title in the opening verse of today's uh, study uh, that gives uh, Logos, uh, Christ, the title, Word of God. Revelation 19.13 was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the last one, let me just uh, spend a little time on that, or just go over this briefly, the title, Shepherd. You know, what title conveys with it the sense of compassion, care, and protection that the Lord Jesus has towards his people more than the title or the name shepherd? I don't think there's a more encompassing word than that. In John chapter 10, we read of several aspects of Christ's shepherding. He's seeking his lost sheep. In that same chapter, we know that his sheep know his voice. They hear his voice. And it goes on and on, his care for him. And what's the greatest thing that a shepherd does for his sheep? We know that, don't we? He lays down his life for them. And because he's his great great shepherd, and he knows his sheep, and he's in the final judgment, he's going to be the one who separates the sheep from the goats. And so, again, within that, we see the mediatorial work of Christ as shepherd, uh, as shepherd, as king, uh, excuse me, we see the role of uh, prophet, priest, and king in this, and that as king, Christ feeds his flock. He says, I'm the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays on his life for his... Excuse me, he feeds his flock. I'm skipping ahead of myself. As priest, he lays down his life as a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And as king, he will separate his people as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, the name shepherd ought to be enough to well up in our hearts enough comfort to know that he indeed is the author and finisher of our salvation. If there's any thought of God's uh, sovereignty over the work of salvation in our hearts, that term shepherd ought to convey it to us. Because you know sheep aren't going to do the right thing. He is the one who is the author and the finisher in our salvation. He's able and his work is effectual. At the end of John's Gospel, we read in the 21st, 21st chapter, 25th verse, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Amen. You know, I think along these same lines, when considering, pondering, meditating upon the names of Christ, They're like that statement even about the things about Jesus. The treasures within the names of Christ could not contain, even be contained in all the books that could be written in the world. And we do well to ponder often the names of Christ and give him glory for what those names convey to us. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider the names of Christ, even the few laid out before us, and even so briefly, Lord, we know well that his name is just not a combined com- compilation of letters, different syllables, but the name carries with it authority, character, attributes, 
meaning, work, history itself, and even in the name of Christ, there's even future with it. So, Lord, we're so thankful for the names that our Savior carries, the titles that he has. And, Father, may the work of grace be such in our hearts in these coming days. We often ponder as we go through Scripture, as we hear those wonderful names. Let us consider them deeply and give you praise for them. We thank you for this evening. Be with each one as they return home. Be with our our folks at home, Lord. That again, that the name of Jesus, as it's considered and pondered, be exalted in our lips and in our minds and in our hearts and as a corporate body as well. For we pray all these things in that name. Amen.